Uh, grab your Bible and open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to jump in here. Let me start with a question. What do you think about when you think of the word freedom or free? What, what does that mean to you? might mean that no one is in authority over me. I, that I don't exist for their benefit. I'm my own person. Maybe it means I can do whatever I want. Maybe it means I'm in a place where I'm safe. I, I can be safe here. That's what freedom means. It means I can decide the trajectory of my life. I can choose who I want to marry, where I want to work, what I want to do with my life. Right? That's, that's kind of what freedom means. And we understand that better as Americans than maybe anyone else does. Amen? How many of you are glad to be an American? I certainly am. I love that. But in chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about a greater freedom. He's going to raise the bar on freedom. Because the Apostle Paul knows something that we need to know and understand too, and that is that the freedom in Christ is much greater than any freedom you can have. In fact, it's interesting that he's writing to churches all over what is modern-day Turkey, Corinth, and Ephesus, and Colossae, and all these different cities. They're all what? They're all under Roman rule. They're all under the largest dictatorship this world has ever known. Yet they all feel what? Free. They all feel completely and totally 100% free. And they're so free, they say, we don't care. Lock us up, throw us in with the lions. We don't care. You don't get it. I'm free. Well, we would say, no, you don't get it. You live in communism. No, I don't. I'm free in Christ. It doesn't matter which government I live in. I'm free. Because Jesus has set me free. This is what the New Testament believer understands. This is what you and I need to understand. But here's what Paul does. He's going to raise the bar on freedom because believers in Jesus understand a greater freedom. A greater freedom than we could ever understand from government or from a nationality. Jesus Christ sets us more free than anything. And so in chapter 10 and in one verse in chapter 11, because we're going we're gonna to extend it to the first verse in chapter 11. I don't know why uh, the dividers of the New Testament did not include chapter or verse 1 with the rest of the section, but you'll probably notice in your Bible that now it kind of is. They kind of shove it up there. So verse 1 of chapter 11 actually goes with, verse 10, with chapter 10. So we're going to include that in there. But what Paul is going to communicate over and over again is that we are actually free to serve. The being a follower of Jesus Christ means we are free to serve. Now, this is important to Paul, and it should be important to us because we believe in Jesus Christ. And because we believe in Jesus Christ, we need to understand that we are free to serve. We understand this because Jesus was the greatest servant. We don't call Jesus the greatest narcissist. He's the greatest servant because he gave up his life for us. And so his way of life, everything that we see in the gospels was to serve people and to serve us. 
And that's our new calling in life as well. It's to serve. And what we know is very interesting about Jesus. That Jesus, before he came to earth, he was more free than anybody. He had complete freedom. He had all authority in the universe. All of the rights that were known to man and to anyone else, he has. He has all power, all authority. It's all due his name. And he what? He gave all of that up. All of it. All of his freedom, all of his rights, all of his authority, all of his power for you and for me to serve us. That's what Jesus did for us. Yet the Corinthian church, and sometimes we do this too, I think, we, were st- we stand on our freedom and we say, well, it's my right. It's my right to do that. I, I have freedom to do that. And that's because you and I are challenged with a dual freedom, dual freedom as an American and freedom as a Christian. And sometimes I think we get the two mixed up. Paul's going to help us with that this morning. And that is that the higher caller calling of freedom is always to serve, not to get my own way. Paul's going to address three misconceptions about freedom. And then he's going to share two purposes of freedom. And so let's jump in and look at it. The first misconception that the Corinthian church had about freedom was that Christ gave them the freedom to sin. That because they were free, because they had the the grace of Christ that would cover their life all the time, they could sin and then just go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, and they would be free. They were free to sin. And the Apostle Paul is going to say, absolutely not. Look at verses 1 through 13 with me. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got their hands stuck in a jar. <laughs> oh, whoops, must have added that. No, and got up to indulge in revelry. But that's exactly what he's talking about, right? They all got their hands stuck in jars. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The Apostle Paul begins his conversation about freedom by reminding the Corinthian church 
that they are not free to sin. He actually is going to communicate that Jesus died so that we could have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Now, he uses a great example. He uses the example of the Israelites when they became free. And he reminds us, did you notice over and over again, he said that this is for us, that we shouldn't do what some of them did. And here's what Paul talks about. He talks about four things. Idolatry, sexual immorality, testing the Lord, and grumbling. And he said, these are all things that the Israelites did. And they're all things you're doing. Now, thankfully, in America today, they're not, we don't do any of these things. So I'm really just speaking to the past and just to all encourage us with some things later. Um, <laughs> Here's what's interesting. Paul says this, and it's a great analogy for us. When the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, he rescued them. He rescued them miraculously. This is like amazing deliverance. And he takes them into the wilderness, and now they are free. And what do they use their freedom to do? Make idols, have sex with the Moabite people. Always say, oh, why God take us out into the desert? He's just going to kill us here. And to get mad at God and get mad at Moses and Aaron. To get mad at the authority above them. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, and what the word is saying to us today, don't be like that. Jesus Christ did not come and die on the cross and deliver you from your slavery to sin so that you could sin, so that you could continue to sin, so that you could then hold on to whatever you want to hold on to and not surrender to Christ and have your hands stuck in a jar, so that you can continue to live outside of the bounds of sexual purity that God has established for us, so that you can constantly say, you know what, my way of living is way better than God's way of living, so I'm going to do what I want. And so that we could constantly complain on social media about who we want our candidate to be for the next month. And grumble. All of those things, Paul says, that's not why Jesus came and died on the cross for you. So stop it. Stop it. Those things do not represent Jesus Christ. And there's something that's really interesting when you look at this example of the Israelites in the desert and how the Corinthian church were stuck in this same way. He concludes his section in verse, with verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, he says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Here's his point. If you think you are standing on some sort of principle or theology that allows you to keep sinning, be careful because you're about to fall just like the Israelites did. Because let's take sexual immorality for one, for, for instance, because it's right in the text. 23,000 of them all stood on their principle and said what? Oh, we, we can sleep with whoever we want. And what happened? God destroyed them. 
There were moments in Israelites' history where God judged them because of their sin. And we know that God doesn't judge like that today, but he will judge in the end. And that's what Paul's talking about. Be careful that you don't think that your principles or some theology you've made up outside of the word of God is what you're standing on because you will fall. What's he talking about? He's talking about this, that the people in the, in the wilderness with the Israelites that stood on their principles and what they thought they could do to sin, they did not make it where? To the promised land. Those people that said, I can continue to sin and I can continue to serve God, did not make it to the promised land. Now fast forward that today. If I say, I believe in Jesus and I continue to sin, will I make it to the promised land? The answer is no. I won't. I will fall. Because Jesus came that I might live not in sin, not to sin. But lastly, Paul says this. Let me remind you of something that's great. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You know, one of the greatest things that you and I need is to know that we're never alone. Amen? And here's what Paul says. Guess what? You're not alone. Every generation from the time, from since time began till now, has dealt with four temptations. Idolatry, sexual temptation, uh, wanting to test God, and complaining. You're no different. So you're not alone. Isn't that good to know? That's good to know that we are all complainers together. I'm, I like that. What that means is that at some point I can go to you and go, would you help me with my complaining? And you're going to say what? Yeah, me too. Let's work on this together. Let's see how the Holy Spirit can help you and me in participation with Christ, not be a complainer. Right? I can work on it. We can hold each other accountable. And then he says, remember, God is faithful. He won't let you get tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Was there a way for Elsa to get out of the jar? There was, wasn't there? It's surrender. When you and I surrender to Jesus Christ, we can get our hand out of the jar. We can get our life out of this sin. When we simply open our hand and say, Jesus, I surrender to you, right? So the first misconception they had about their freedom was, I have freedom to sin. The second misconception they had was that my, that, that my freedom to believe in Jesus, I can believe in Jesus and other religions at the same time. That's what my freedom gives me. I can believe in Jesus and I can believe in other religions and I can practice other religious things at the same time. Let's see what Paul says about that in verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. 
and I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now, the Apostle Paul is going to use the argument of communion and these things in just a moment, but let me talk specifically about what he's referencing. He's going to get to it in a minute, but uh, it makes sense to lump it into this section. The Corinthians said, I I have freedom to believe in Jesus and celebrate Jesus in communion at the table of communion. And I also have freedom because I have freedom in Christ to go hang out with my unbelieving friends and eat food that's been sacrificed to an idol. And Paul says, no, you can't do that. You can't connect yourself to Jesus and to a false idol at the same time. Now, What we know, in the first century, communion was much more like a meal. You would actually sit down together around a table. You'd have a meal together. And in that meal, you would would celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ through the cup and through bread. Okay, You would would model that together, but you would do it in a meal. You would have an actual meal together. Now, what Paul is saying is that when we take communion together, what I talked about already we become one with Christ. We're participating with Christ. That this meal is participation with Christ. We're in unity with Christ. We're in unity with one another. And that's what happens when we take communion together. And Paul says, this happens because it's a spiritual moment. There's something very powerful happening spiritually during this meal. It's not just an ordinary meal. This doesn't happen when you go to McDonald's. This happens when you take communion. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so valuable. That's why we have not stopped this tradition for 2,000 years. Because it's extremely vital to our faith. It reminds us of the connection that we have to Jesus and how we have participated in his death and his resurrection and that that gives us eternal life. This is a very, very strong spiritual connection that Paul is talking about that takes place in communion. The same kind of thing happens in a meal that's been sacrificed to a false god. And Paul would say to demons. And so when you and I participate with something outside of the realm of Jesus Christ, outside of our faith, the same thing happens. We connect ourselves spiritually to a demonic thing instead of to a godly thing. We make a spiritual connection with something false. And the problem is that false gods are connected to demons and the demonic realm is not the godly realm. Now the point is that we cannot connect ourselves to God and the demonic at the same time. We can't follow Jesus and other religions, and think we are okay with God, because we're not. We're called to worship God and worship him only. That's our calling. And so what Paul is encouraging here is that we not connect ourselves to anything outside of what God has called us to in his word. He said, Pastor Mark, what does that mean for us 
in our culture, because we don't really worship false gods in America. We don't have any false gods in America. We're not idolatrous in America. Well, what is idolatry? Holding on to something other than God, right? Putting something in front of God, making something more important than God. And we do have things in our culture like that. In fact, I think we have things in our culture that are demonic. It's all around us. But we don't see it as a culture. Why? Because we don't believe in spiritual things as a culture. We're a scientific culture. There's, there's not these weird, wacky, spiritual things that you guys talk about happening. It's just, we just have science and that's it. What we can see and that's it. But it takes godly wisdom to notice those things in our culture that are demonic and not just scientific. Now, if you think about what we've embraced as a culture, that we are scientific, and that if you can't prove it with science and you can't prove it physically, that it doesn't exist, that is an absolute dream for Satan. Because now all he has to do is do whatever demonic thing he wants and say what? Oh, that's scientific. And we buy into it. Because in a scientific culture, we're not going to see the spiritual. We're not going to believe in it. This makes it super easy for the demonic to hide, but be very real and very present at the same time and continue to manipulate people away from Jesus. And you can even do it in the name of science. Because really what the demonic is, is anything that's working to pull the culture away from Jesus. And we have lots of that, don't we? Lots of things pulling us away from Jesus. So this misconception that we can often have is that we can worship Jesus and we can worship other things at the same time. We can say, Jesus is part of my spiritual life. No, Jesus is your spiritual life. And that's it. Everything else is demonic. Jesus is everything. Now, the Corinthians, they were doing that. They were pulling themselves in, which led them to the third misconception, which was they believed that their freedom gave them the freedom to live like the culture. The freedom to live like the culture. In verse 23, it says, I have the right to do anything. Great stance on freedom, isn't it? I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others, free to serve. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew or Greek or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now what the Corinthian church had begun to believe is that their freedom meant that they could do whatever they wanted to with the culture as long as their conscience was clear. And Paul says, no, that's not true. You don't just get to do whatever you want. But that was their mantra. Their mantra was what? I have the right to do anything. Has anybody heard that in the past six months? Is that not the mantra of the American people right now during COVID? I have the right to do anything. And Paul would say to us as Christians anyway, what? It might not. (laughs) Put on your mask. (laughs) Somebody said it, right? I have the right to do anything. Paul might say, well, maybe you don't. Because maybe your right to do anything isn't beneficial to Jesus. Because remember, you're, you're living in a higher freedom. You're not living in an American freedom. That's down here. You live in a Christ freedom. It's way up here. Have we got that yet? We need to get that in our heads. American freedom's down here. Biblical freedom, Christ, freedom in Christ is way up here. We have a much higher standard as believers in Christ. Why? Because our standard holds with it the witness of people that need to get saved. And so Paul says, what you think you have the right to stand on, what you think you have the freedom to stand on is actually what is getting in the way of people seeing Jesus in you. Because what they probably see is a grumbler, a complainer, not a Christ follower. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul's once again talking about idolatry. Now, the mythological gods of Rome and Greece had permeated everything in the Corinthian culture. Everything about the mythological gods had permeated everything. So if you are a believer and you go over to your friend's house who's an unbeliever, you're going to have to deal with everything that is permeating their home and a meal and what they're talking about and what they're believing. All of that has all been sucked into the mythological gods of Rome and Greece. And so many of the believers were just saying, what? I want to fit in. I want to fit in with my friends and with the culture. And that means I want to sit down and have that meal with them and just hang out together. But Paul says, you can do that as long as nobody brings up the fact that that food was sacrificed to an idol. Because the moment you know that that food was sacrificed to an idol, you can't connect yourself to that idol. They say, well, that's going to be kind of embarrassing with the people around the table. Well, that depends. You, you okay with being embarrassed for Jesus? Or you, are you okay that that might bring up a conversation about Jesus? Let me give you an example. When I was in high school, I think I had more opportunity to talk about Jesus in high school than I had at any other time in my life. You know why? Because I wouldn't have sex. 
And so every single time somebody said, Mark, why won't you have sex with that girl? She likes you. It was a great opportunity for me to talk about sex. No, it was a great opportunity for me to talk about Jesus. Why aren't you a complainer? Well, let's talk about complaining. No, let's talk about Jesus. That's why I'm not a complainer, because I want to talk about Jesus. Let's talk about why you're not eating this meal with us right now. Yeah, let me talk about that with you for a minute, because here's what I believe. I believe I can't eat that meal with you because I believe in the one and only true God. Can I talk to you about him for a minute? Do you see how that just opened the door for you to share Jesus with your friends? Because you said, I'm going to choose to be holy and separate. That's what Paul is asking. Don't live like the culture and don't say, well, I have the right to do anything. Because in your freedom, in your right to say, I can do anything, you will miss the fact that you also have the freedom to share Christ and your freedom might be getting in the way. See, it's true that Jesus has given us freedom, but it's not freedom to sin. It's not freedom to practice the practices of, of, of the world around us. It's not freedom to live as the culture is living. It's freedom to live in Christ and freedom to serve others. Now, Paul says that at the end of verse 23 and verse 24, and again in verse 33. He says, everything is not beneficial. Beneficial to what? What do I need to be thinking about my life being beneficial to? And Paul says this, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And Paul declares it, you are free to serve. You're free to serve. That's what your freedom is for. You're free to serve. See, Paul understands that the most important thing in the world is showing the world Jesus. That our lives would show Jesus to the world. Therefore, he encourages us to sacrifice. To sacrifice our freedoms, to sacrifice our rights, so that the culture can see Jesus instead of me. See, the challenge is when I, when I stand up and say, I want my rights. It's about me. It's not about Jesus. But when I say, I'll submit my rights, it gives me an opportunity to share Jesus with others. Paul's saying very clearly that our freedom is not freedom to sin. It's not freedom to believe in Jesus and other religions at the same time. It's not freedom to live like the culture. Freedom is for two primary purposes. And Paul declares them in verse 31, 32, and 33. Look at them with me. In verse 31, Paul tells us the first purpose of our freedom. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Here's our first purpose of freedom. It's for the glory of God. The reason we are free is for the glory of God. Now, I, I'm of the belief that even as I look into the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, I think our founding fathers 
meant for us to be free to serve one another too. I don't think they meant us to be free so we could be narcissists. I don't think, I don't think that was the heartbeat or the thought of the revolutionary in our country when it was being birthed. As they fought together side by side to win their freedom, I don't think they were thinking, I'm doing this for me. They were thinking, I'm doing this for us. And we're going to create a a country that is good for all of us to live in unity together. But that's not where our country is anymore. We've flipped. To now, what the most important thing is, is my personal rights. Me. I'm the most important thing in the world. And Paul is preaching against that. That's not what a believer believes, that I'm the most important. What a believer believes is the glory of God is the most important. Living for Jesus is the most important. Helping others believe in Jesus is what's the most important. And so Paul says this, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, and then this phrase, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now this verse, in my opinion, is the catch-all. Say, Pastor Mark, I can't find anything about social media in my Bible. Here it is. Here it is. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So let me ask a question. Is my complaining and grumbling on social media for the glory of God? No, it's not. My words that come out of my mouth. Are they for the glory of God or are they for me? As I'm screaming at my kids because I'm frustrated that I've been inside with them all day, (laughs) right? Am I doing that for me or for the glory of God? What do my words sound like? What do my actions look like? If If the culture around us is saying, you know, all kinds of things about sexual things right now, when you and I say, I'm going to stand for sexual purity, then we get to say, I'm living for the glory of God. I'm not going to let anything be in my life that takes the place of Jesus. I'm going to live for the glory of God. That when those things begin to take place and those changes begin to take place in our life, then Paul says, that's where we should be. Like That's the sweet spot for our life, right there. Living whatever you do for the glory of God. And then the second thing he says is this. You're free to serve. Free to serve others. Don't cause anyone to stumble. For I'm seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow Christ. So the second purpose that Paul gives us is to serve others. Our freedoms and our rights in Christ aren't for us to be selfish with and get our own way. They are to serve others first. Our freedom is to help others be free. When people see the freedom that we have in Christ, our hope is that they want to be free too. Now how do we, when it comes to our slavery to the greatest thing in the world, sin, how do we show the world that I'm no longer a slave to that? Well, if I can say no to it. If I can say no to my sin, I show the world 
I'm free for the glory of God, and I'm free to serve you. And so Paul lumps all of that together and says our freedom is for a purpose. Our freedom is so that we can be free for the glory of God, but our freedom is so we can serve one another. And when we serve one another, the glory of God is heightened even more. And when we serve one another, we can see we have these opportunities to help people and the world see Jesus. Because ultimately, our greatest freedom is to help people see Christ. So Paul would say this, I think, in conclusion. Whatever is in the way in my life, whatever is in the way in your life, of someone getting saved or seeing Jesus in you, I should remove it. I should work hard to let the Holy Spirit work, in, work that out of my life. I shouldn't say, well, I, I can do anything. I have my rights. I can, I can do whatever I want. Well, whatever you want may not be beneficial. What Paul would say is our attitude should be like Jesus, who had all the rights, all the freedom, all the power, all the authority, all the dominion, and he gave it all up for you and me. And Paul would say that's what you and I should do for the world too so that they see Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this message is a difficult one. It strikes us right in the core of our heart and our lifestyles and our thinking to raise the standard of freedom. Lord, I pray that you would help this chapter and this, the concepts that the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us this morning to sink deeply into our life. That the purpose that we are called to is to glorify you. That our life would shine brightly like a city on a hill. That we would be people that always model the life of Jesus Christ to others. Lord, it's very clear as well in this section that you called us to be free to serve one another. And that our service in the body of Christ would help one another. And that our service out in the world would help people see you and believe in you. Lord, would you help that to be the heart of our life? That we would want to see others come to know you. Lord, I want to take just a moment and just pause here because I think there's something important that the Holy Spirit wants to do in some of us. Some of you in this room or watching live or you might be watching in a couple days, you might say, Pastor Mark, I, I don't know that true freedom yet. I'm not free from my sin. I'm not free from everything to just be like Jesus. I'm not free from the culture yet. And that would be for a couple reasons. One, either you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or two, you haven't surrendered fully to Jesus. Jesus. 
So I want to challenge you. If you don't know true freedom, then surrender your life to Jesus. Give him everything that you are, fully and completely. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, do it today. Do it right now. And say, Jesus, I believe in you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to live for you all the days of my life. Just, you can just say that prayer to him right now, wherever you are. For some of us in this room, too, there's some things we're holding on to. Like Elsa showed us, we've got our hand in the jar, and there's something in that jar. And we have not wanted to surrender that to Jesus yet. And as a result, we're not living in the fullness of Christ. And I'm just going to ask you really, really quickly, just those of us in the room, would you just get personal with Jesus right now? Would you ask him to forgive you right now in this moment for whatever it is that's in your life that's causing you not to be free in Christ? And I'm just going to pause here for a minute, and I'm going to let each of us just say a prayer to the Lord and say, Jesus, would you please forgive me for fill in the blank and set me free? Go ahead. Jesus, that's our prayer this morning. We confess our sin to you. We confess those things that are causing us to be a slave to sin instead of free in Christ. We ask you to set us free from those things and help us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit today. We give you thanks and praise for your word and for the transformation that you are going to make in us that we are going to see in our own lives as a result of surrendering every day and every moment to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Whew. Paul's ruthless, isn't he? He's just getting after it. How many of you think the Corinthian church might have been in a bad way? <laughs> like it's like chapter after chapter is an adult spanking, right? <laughs> wow. Well, we're getting into some good stuff. When we get into chapters 11 through 15, it gets a little bit more encouraging towards the end. He's going to encourage us. He's going to encourage us really how to be the body of Christ together. And there'll be some, there'll be some tough stuff in there too, but um, it, it's good. And I, I'm thankful for those times where we get to embrace the wisdom of God and leave different because I, I'm going to say, I'm going to live for Jesus, right? And that's good news, and that's what we have the word for.